Hello and welcome to the Hornets and Heartbreak Podcast. My name is Mark Bernacki and I'm here with my co-host, Tim Rogers. What's up, Tim? What do you do, Liquor Mark? I'm doing pretty well, man. The Hornets are on a one and two uh, streak since this mini road trip started, since we last spoke last week, uh, including back-to-back blowout losses against the 76ers and the Heat. So things have been pretty heartbreaking as of late, uh, but we did get a win in New York last Wednesday. That was a fun game. One of the biggest storylines from these past three games was the unexpected return of Gordon Hayward on April Fool's. He came back on April Fool's. There are some people thinking maybe this is an April Fool's joke. I did. joke from from the Hornets staff. But no, he actually played against the 76ers. Um, It was good to have him back. Even though the game was pretty terrible, it was nice to see him out there. Gordy had five points in 17 minutes. I'd say he looked a little rusty. Also, the whole team was just playing poorly in that game. Um, This was the first time Gordon has come off the bench for us, Tim, in his career in Charlotte. And it could be something that we will see moving forward. Or it could just be like a tactic from Borrego to try to ease Gordy back into the action. I'd say it's probably more likely the latter, that JB's just easing him back in. Tim, what are your thoughts? Do you think that James Borrego will continue to bring Gordon off the bench? And more importantly, do you think he should? Um, I think if there was more time in the season, I could see him reintegrating Gordy, but you know, we're kind of down to crunch time and, uh, PJ has just played so well. I think PJ has earned the spot as of right now. Um, and I think it kind of makes a little more sense. We're looking for defense. Like, you know, our issue in yesterday's game was on our offense. We had like 120 offensive rating. It was just a defensive matter. And, you know, Gordy doesn't really move the needle in that direction. Okay. So you think PJ more for the defense? Um, from James Plowright, he had this tweet on April 4th. The Hornets' starting lineup was averaging 122 points per 100 possessions since the All-Star break in 225 minutes. So our starting lineup with P.J. in there has been effective offensively. Uh, and you bring up the defensive upside of having P.J. in there as well as like Plumlee and Miles. And that was the second most points per 100 possessions in that time frame since the All-Star break of any t- any roster um, in, in the league. So we've been doing very well with PJ in the starting lineup. And we've talked about that before. Like we started out with maybe throwing Kelly in the starting lineup and that was not working as well. Yep. So PJ in the starting lineup has been going very well. And I think that from like a basketball slash statistical perspective, it makes sense to bring in Gordon Hayward off the bench. PJ is just a lower usage player. He's not ball dominant. So it makes more sense to play him with high usage players like Lamelo, Miles, and Terry. Uh, meanwhile, our bench unit really only has like one creator, and that's Isaiah Thomas. So adding Gordon to that mix makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as we've seen uh, Montrez, his minutes have slowly been going down since uh, you know about his fifth game here. hasn't played more than twenty minutes since March eleventh, and with that comes yeah need for creation off the bench. Kelly is just playing putrid, putrid basketball, providing nothing. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that'd be good for Gordon. I do feel bad for him. Uh, Seems like this happens every season to him. It happened when he was on the Celtics as well, gets hurt. Then it's like, well, Gordon, I mean, the bench roll is pretty good, man. You know, you can run a lot of offense off the bench. That can just be your thing. And it's like, oh, poor guy, just can't catch a break. Yeah, so I think that I actually expect James Borrego to – put Gordon back in the starting lineup. You said that you don't, you don't expect that. I would say that I expect it to happen. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but like 
the aspect of Gordon, you know, he has, he has an ego, like the basketball is not a computer simulation. You can't just like, okay, this is the optimal lineup to have in like Gordon <clears throat> expects to have a higher role than PJ does. Gordon's expectations like of himself within the offense are higher than PJ's are. Um, and I think that if Gordon comes off the bench, there might be a little bit of frustration uh, with that from Gordy's side. He said in a quote, like, you know, he doesn't want to come in and mess up what we have going, but also I don't think he wants to come off the bench. And obviously the 17 minutes, that was just like him coming back from injury. I think if he does come off the bench, he's still getting like 30 minutes a game. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you speak to ego when he says he doesn't want to come in and mess anything up. It's not like in his head, he's like, boy, I'm about to shoot 38%. It's, he's like, no, okay. I'm going to come back in, you know, maybe play, play a little off ball for a little while, but I'm definitely going to be in the starting lineup. I can't blame him. I think if it comes down to it, like, you know, the play in game, I'd be pretty surprised if he's not uh, in the starting lineup. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to get that, get that on paper, you know, out into the ether here that we do think he'll come back in the starting lineup. I think that like right now, ideally he probably does come off the bench, but yeah, I think, I think he's going to be back in the starting lineup by the time the playing game starts. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Like JB has sort of expressed, like it's a difficult situation um, to kind of insert him back in with only a few games remaining. And we'll just have to see how it goes. Um, so from there, we have some other observations from the past few games. You already mentioned this. Montrez has really fallen out of the rotation. He got zero minutes last night uh, against the Heat, and a lot of Hornets fans on Twitter were pretty pissed about it. Uh, you mentioned he hasn't played 20 minutes like since like the past eight games or whatever. He In the past nine games, he's only played more than 20 minutes once. Um, so, Tim, what, what do you think is like going into that? And are you a fan of it? Do you think you should be playing more? Um, what, what do you think happened last night? Um, I think last night, um, I don't think the heat are the best matchup for him. Uh, they rank in the 98th percentile of pick and roll defense versus the role man in the NBA. And they were playing a lot of zone last night as well. So it's kind of an awkward fit with Montrez. You know, you just think about him going up against Bam and PJ, not a great matchup for him, even though he did play a season high 43 minutes last time we played the heat. But uh, I think it really came down to PJ was playing well. He was coming in at the five whenever, uh, you know, Mason would come out. And Jalen McDaniels had his best game since January. Uh, so that just provides a little more defensive flexibility and even, you know, running on offense as well, which you kind of need to do against the Heat's half-court defense. Yeah, so there was this uh, – Trez is, like, a very active uh, on Twitter. He's a very active tweeter, if you will. And he tweeted last night, I play my role in every situation with several exclamation points. So he doesn't seem to be too upset about it. So that's a good sign at the very least. Um, But it is weird that we have this player who was the sixth man of the year at some point, and he just got zero minutes in the last game uh, that we played. I'm, I'm a little confused by that. Like why not throw him in there for like 10? If you're going to, if you're trying to go away from him, it seems weird to not play him at all. But it could have just been like a hot hand kind of thing and Jalen was playing well. But in a game where we lost by 29, it seems like maybe we should have mixed it up a little bit more and thrown him in there. Yeah, I could, you know, but we got to get those Nick Richards minutes, you know? We got to make <laughs> sure he's he's doing all right. I think some of it also could have been with um, how hot the shooting was from Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson off the bat. It's mm. kind of a scary idea to be like, okay, well, Montrez can make it through some screens. Um, you know, cause in theory, they don't have a ton of offensive threats to punish Montrez, but then you see what happened with, you know, Rudy Gobert against the Warriors a couple nights ago, 
where teams are much smarter about, you know, guys that aren't great on defense. Like, no, you just run them off ball a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's just a tough, it's a tough matchup for him. You know, he's not a great rebounder as well. We needed some boards. I don't think it's anything too bad, but you look at the Brooklyn game as well. I think he only played seven minutes. And this is kind of the wrap on Montrez is, you know, he's awesome against the Thunder and the Pels, but uh, against real high level playoff teams, he's just not the most useful player. He's a fun player. Yeah, so I think it's specifically these like hot shooting teams that he can't play against, right? That's that's sort of where we're seeing him get the uh, least amount of minutes, the teams that are good from three. And yeah, Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson went off last night. That was pretty depressing, I have to say. Yeah, as a Tyler Harrow hater, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty rough watch. Yeah, 35, 35, and plus 35. He had 35 points, and he was plus 35. <laughs> yeah, what, he was 6 of 10 from three, and Duncan Robinson was 7 of 11, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they were just rating. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, they shot fifty four percent from uh, three as a, as a team. Even Jimmy Butler had two threes. That was painful. And, you know, you're just not really going to win on those nights. Yeah, I would say it's not like that big of a cause of concern for last from last night's game. They were just super super hot. Like sometimes we left Duncan open, and that was a problem. But they were just they were just making every shot they took. So I wasn't. I'm not like too upset about last night's game. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned Jalen McDaniels. That's our second observation. He was hot last night. He had 11 points in 17 minutes, along with two steals. So yeah, I think that had something to do with Trez not playing. Perego could just be like playing around with rotations. And it's good to see Jalen finally have a good game. He's been rough since coming back from injury. And he, he played well last night. Yeah, it was it was nice to see. Um, and it is just still, you know, we were obviously very excited for him last season. You know, he had his couple breakout games. And it is just so tantalizing with a guy that long, that fast, um, especially, you know, a team where we have the third most uh, transition opportunities in the league, around 22 a game. And McDaniels, when he's healthy, can really help maximize that in a way that, you know, Trez, as good as he is in the half court, not exactly known to just, you know, break down after every rebound okay who's most likely to have the most minutes in the playing game Jalen McDaniels or Trez um I think if we play the Nets I think it would be Jalen McDaniels yeah that's probably true probably and I think if we if we play the Hawks as well because I mean do you really want Montrez guarding those Trey Young pick and rolls yeah yeah I guess it's just Borrego's kind of leaning towards PJ and Mason at the five at this point yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's tough with Mason just giving you absolutely nothing on offense, you know, just a non, non-entity. But, uh, yeah, that's just, you know, coaches like defensive players, even if right. they're not that good on defense. Uh, yeah, so feel bad for Trez. Probably doesn't help our chances of re-signing him either. Yep. Yeah, I would say it's leaning towards he's not going to get re-signed this offseason. But I still like Trez. Hopefully he gets more minutes uh, in the game against the Magic. You mentioned he's good against those teams. So I could see him getting 25 minutes and like a double-double or something. Um, yeah, he's, he's also just a good, you know, him and Isaiah both are kind of like good break in case of emergency. Nothing's going right. It's like, well, you know what? Let's roll Trez out for four minutes, see if he can get, you know, an and one and a couple dunks. And then, you know, if that does work, then you can kind of keep it rolling. Yeah, what's better, the Isaiah Thomas and Trez pick and roll or the uh, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell? Mitchell? <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny to see if Isaiah's already already thrown him more passes. Yeah. Uh, one thing about Isaiah, um, you know, he had one, I think, like five of six game from two. Otherwise, he just as soon as he gets in the paint, he's got, you know, Devontae Graham syndrome of like, there is no chance this, this floater is going in. Mm, mm, yeah, he had like a bad missed layup last night, I remember. 
All right, observation number three, Miles Bridges has led the team in scoring over the past three games in each of those games, not just overall. So he's continuing to play well, and he's shooting the ball from three better than he was for that long stretch. He's just having a very, very good season. Uh, you know, I think he's fourth in the most improved player odds, and rightfully so. He's playing very well as of late, and he had that hot start to the season. So those two factors combined. Miles, Miles is doing great as of late, and it's good to see uh, for this playoff, you know, playoffs eliminated. Yeah, I love that he just randomly tears the Knicks up every time we play him. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a there was a guy in you know the first couple rows that was talking shit to him and Kelly, and uh, Miles answered with 13 points in the fourth quarter in that Knicks game and a crazy, crazy three that we haven't seen him make in some time. Yeah, yeah, I think that the big thing for him has been like attacking the rim, and he still doesn't get all the calls that he should. Um, I don't think, I think he often goes to the rim and gets fouled and it's not called just because he's a bigger player. The refs like kind of don't give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but yeah, he's been playing great attacking the rim. His touch around the rim has vastly improved too. Like he makes some high level, uh, layups. Yeah. And like, there are certain times where I'm like, oh, that is way too strong. And it's like, nope, just goes cleanly and off the glass. Yeah. Compared to his first like two years where he was just throwing rocks up against the rim, having Kelly Oubre syndrome. Uh, that's one thing that this season's definitely taught me is uh, finishing at the rim is a skill just the same way that like the mid-range shot is a skill, you know, turnarounds, post-ups, like certain guys are good at finishing at the rim and they have touch and they work on it like Miles has. And certain guys are like Kelly Oubre at the rim where it's a miracle when they make a layup. Right. Yep. hundred percent. I will say Hornets fans need to stop with like the most improved player thing for Miles it's not going to happen, y'all. Uh, John Morant is going to win that award. It's like we can really stop talking about it. He's going to get like a couple votes or whatever, but he's not going to win the award. Um, maybe a couple people will have him first place, but mo- the vast majority of people will vote for John Morant to win that. And second I mean, place could just be whoever John Morant's backup is since they win every game without him. Okay. Okay. So Trey Young, John Morant, is that what you think, Tim? I, I think that it's becoming it's becoming clear for the people. I was getting slaughtered midway through the season, and uh, suddenly I don't hear anything about Trey Young. I wonder what's happened. Hmm. We'll Almost see. Like we'll see in that play tournament. Point guard. We'll see in that playing tournament. What happens? We'll see. All right, number four, uh, Mello has been playing great as of late as well. He had a bad game against the 76ers for sure. Thirteen points and six turnovers. But against the Knicks and the Heat, I thought those were two of his best games ever. He had a career-high 15 assists against the Knicks and 14 assists against the Heat last night. He's been playing su- at, like such a high level as of late. Oh, my God, yeah. He is just so quick with his decision-making lately, you know, through that beautiful no-look pass to Cody Martin last night. And uh, I've seen people – there's kind of a misconception that he's like this – you know, heliocentric kind of like ball holding player, like, you know, ball stopper. He really, it just could not be further from the truth. He's just, as soon as he realizes an ISO isn't working, passes it right away, runs to the corner. Uh, yeah. I mean, his, his playmaking is outrageous. And, you know, the best play of the night was one that Cody Martin airballed uh, in the corner, but he looked like magic Johnson. And I started to wonder, I know he's, you know, very famous about, oh, you know, only watch young guys, but I wonder if he's watching winning time. And he's like, I'm going to steal that spin. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody wants to see that clip, it's on our social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Hornets Podcast. Uh, I have a question about that. So, like that, if Cody Martin had made that three, or like if that was Miles Bridges making that three, 
that would have broke Twitter last night, right? That would have been like the most popular clip of the night. But since Cody Martin airballed it, like I didn't see it that much. And why why the highlights have to be complete for it to be a highlight? That was like the coolest move Lanello's ever had. Maybe his coolest pass ever. And, you know, I think it should be in his highlight reel. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the end of the season highlight reel will be on there. They'll cut the Cody Martin shot. But, um, yeah, that was one where even uh, Eric Collins was like, you got to make that before he even shoots it. I always feel bad for players in that situation where I'm like, that is a lot of pressure. Like, when you make a guy fall, you're like, damn, dude, I got to make this shot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he also, Lamella did get dropped uh, last night by, I'm struggling to remember his name, Uh, Struis. Oh, Struis, yeah. Yeah, Struis had a crossover that made Lamella fall last night, and then Struis hit a three. So, but Lamella, like like I said, his passing has just been elite as of late. 14 assists and 15 assists in those two games. And last night, you I text you, like, I thought it was, like, his best game ever, literally through the first three quarters. He was he making best so many – on the court. Yeah, he was making so many highlight plays, um, in like, including starting the game off with two deep threes. We were, we were up, like, 9-0 to zero at the start of the game with two Lamella deep threes and a Terry Rozier and one. Um, but we kind of ruined it by not putting him back in in the fourth quarter at the start of the fourth quarter. And then by the time he got back in, the game was already out of hand and he didn't add that much to like his resume from the game. So it goes down. It's just like a kind of above average Lamelo game Um, that also happened against the Knicks on March 23rd when he had 31 points in the first three quarters and then ended the game with 31 points because he didn't start the fourth quarter. Same, Same with the Nets as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see Borrego leave Melo in to start the fourth quarter when we're trailing before the game gets away from us. Like it doesn't make sense to put him back in when we're down 15 or down 20 with like six minutes to go. I just wish he had started that fourth quarter. Yeah. Like it kind of made sense even earlier in the season, but like right now, LaMelo is a legitimate offensive engine. Like, I mean, he is just, you know, playing the best ball of his career. Yeah. I mean, let him, let him get 38 minutes in a game. You know, these are, Granted, these aren't playoff games right now, but, you know, obviously important reps. And that that is one thing where I'm like more pro Borrego than a lot of people. But that that is an annoying thing where he's like, got to wait for the six minute mark. Just just, you know, be a little flexible with these rotations. I agree. Yeah. Like he played 34 last night. And if it was 38, we wouldn't be complaining. And he should he should be the kind of player who gets those kind of minutes right now. He's playing at such a high level when he's not in the game. It's like so noticeable that we don't have him out there. Uh, but when he's in the game, we're so much, so much of a better team, more exciting team. Yeah. It's one of those things where I always just kind of thought it was, you know, like just coach speak BS to be like, you know, winning players, he's just making winning plays. And I was like, you know, what does that really mean? You know, like Tim Duncan was just good. It wasn't necessarily winning plays. And then mellow these last 10 games. I'm just like, wow, he's a winning player. He's like, I know exactly what he's talking about now. It's just a, you know, he went from kind of just a young buck earlier in the year to like, oh man, it's great when he hits seven threes in a game, but how much is he really doing offensively to now? I'm just like, yeah, we can have a top five offense next year. Like with these same pieces, if LaMelo plays at this level all year. Yeah. Yeah. If he can sustain this for a full season, it would be elite level basketball. Uh, you know, who's not a winning player, Tim. <laughs> who's that? Kelly Oubre Jr. I'm completely Ooh. out, Tim. I don't know if we've said it enough on the podcast. I'm completely out on Kelly Oubre. He only played 16 minutes last night, but it felt like he played 30. He was 0 for 4 from 3. And we've said it time and time again, when he is not shooting well, it's just a rough watch. He did have a good game against the Knicks, but that's like 
at this point, it's a diamond in the rough. It's like one out of 20 games. So it's not even like a diamond in the rough. It's just like, dude, I found this cool button, man. Like <laughs> this could go well with corduroy. Yeah. No, nah, he's just been very, very rough to watch. And Borrego has decreased his minutes, but I mean, it, it might be time to complete, to completely like cut him out like, like 10 minutes a game. He only played 16 minutes last night again, but like bring it down even more with Gordon Hayward coming back. Uh, there's really, he, when he's not shooting well, just, just pull him. If he's over three, just take him out. Is he, uh, is he your least favorite Hornet since we've been doing this podcast? I think so. I think so at this point. Yeah. I mean, like Cody Martin last year was up there, Cody and Caleb, the Martin twins collectively taking minutes from Malik Monk, but yeah, Kelly Oubre, man, this, these past two months have just been very, very rough from him and his body language isn't great. You can tell he knows he's struggling and yeah, it's just been, it's been awful. He went from wave poppy to man, can we, can we get him off the team? (laughs) You know, uh, he might be part of a certain trade. Ooh, let's, let's hold off on that until, until the end of the pod. Tim, Tim has a, a trade he'd like to float out into, into the podcast uh, world. But uh, also last observation from last night, book night played two minutes. I texted you, you <laughs> turned off the game. I was like, book's in. And then you turned it back on. Uh, and yeah, he just seemed completely checked out. I mean, it was the end of the game, so I don't blame him. But yeah, kind of a sad end to book night's rookie season, him getting two minutes at the end of a blowout loss. Um, just got to wait till next year on that, I guess. Yeah, I uh, I was watching the movie Fargo, and I just watched uh, two people get get murdered, and then I turned on the game, and it was somehow even more gruesome to watch Book <laughs> Night for those two minutes. I was like, my God, yeah. went back to nice sunny Fargo. <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. Oh, yeah, big big Coen Brothers run this week for me. No Country for Old Men. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And uh, and Fargo. Been living. All right, so let's talk about the play in scenarios. So right now we are in 10th place behind the Hawks and Nets who lead us by a game each. Uh, The Nets are the eight seed, the Hawks are the nine because the Nets beat the Hawks in head-to-head games. What could happen, the the optimistic outlook, is if we go 3-0 in our last three games and the Nets and the Hawks both go 2-1, we'll be in a three-way tie with them and the Hornets win that tie break. So it's still possible for us to get the eight seed. We don't play you know, the best teams in the league here. We play the Bulls, the Magic, and the Wizards. I said that in the reverse order. Magic, Bulls, Wizards, I think is the order of the games. Um, so we could, we really could go 3-0, and and that could happen. Um, but, we, but we need to go 3-0 and because there's no chance that those teams go 1-2 and over the past three games or the, over the next three games. So we need to go 3-0. and And if we don't, then we'll be in the 9-10 game. And the thing we want to avoid there is we want to be pulling for the Nets to go 3-0 and in that case because I do not want to play the Nets in a loser-goes-home match. I do want to play the Nets, quite frankly. I think that Kevin Durant is a playoff fraud. He's been <laughs> overrated. Come on, come on, come on, bro. Dude, he has. Look at his numbers before he went to Golden State. He was always uh, below average efficiency. Granted, those OKC teams were more defensively built, not a lot of spacing, but... uh. Yeah, I, you know, cool. You bullied PJ Tucker in a series one time. Like, congratulations. You really toasted Richard Jefferson in the finals. Uh, who cares? Kyrie Irving can always go for 50 or 15 on 30 shots. 
Uh, I, I'm afraid of the Hawks. I think the Hawks have been playing better basketball. And uh, I think that the Nets are just a terrible defensive team. And all it takes is a hot Terry Rozier game. That, like Kelly, redeem yourself right there. That's just prime for a Kelly 7 of 9 from 3. Yeah, so I will say playing the Nets is like the worst possible scenario. But then also, it could be the best thing to ever happen to the Hornets if we beat them and eliminate them in that game. That would be like the sickest thing to ever happen to the Hornets. So I am rooting for it in that sense. Like beating the Hawks would go kind of unnoticed, I think. I don't think people would be like, oh man, the Hornets beat Trey Young. Like that wouldn't happen, you know, because Trey Young is like the sixth best point guard in the league. Um, <laughs> best player in the league. <laughs> but if we beat the Nets, that would go viral, right? Whatever, whatever happened in that game would be all over Sports Center the next day. So uh, I'm rooting for that in, in that sense, but yeah, I think we would lose. So, yeah, in a weird way, it'd almost be better off if we beat the Nets, lose in like a heartbreaking fashion to the Hawks, and then just don't get steamrolled by whoever the, uh, the one seed is. Well, we, we, if we lost to the Hawks, we would, we would be out. Yeah, that's what I would, I would rather oh. lose to the Hawks in like a heartbreaking fashion than have to go through the four heat. or five games. Yeah. yeah. The, Ah, God, I wouldn't want to give the Heat the satisfaction. They've already knocked us out of the first round so many times. Yeah, yeah. So that's our play-in scenarios. we got to go 3-0 if we want to get the eighth seed, uh, which, which again, could happen. There's still, like, a glimmer of hope, but uh, it's not looking great. You want to give your trade scenario? Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, if we make this trade, we're not talking about the play-in next year. We're just, you know, talking about home court advantage. And that is, it's time to have the Rudy Gobert conversation, Mark. Okay. Listen, all, all that's come, I think Quinn Snyder had a 19 minute just monologue to the media the other day about how there are no problems on our team. There's clearly problems. Mitchell and Gobert seem to hate each other. The league as a whole seems kind of down on Rudy Gobert. Um, I don't think it would take, you know, like, I think if you look at the Nets and Lakers, uh, just the buckles this season. I don't think, you know, I think we're out of the time of trading five first round picks for people. I don't think Gobert would demand that much. Um, he is about to come on a contract extension that will be paying him quite a bit over the next four years. He'll be 30 going into next season. But I look at it like this. He's one of the best pick and roll role men in the league. We're bottom 10. I think we're number, or number 23 in efficiency on that. We know we have trouble with our uh, bigs every single year. I just say Rudy Gobert has at least three more quality years in him. Don't care how old you are if you have a seven nine standing reach. It's like or seven nine wingspan. Um, it's like you know that that tends to age pretty well. I think about it almost like Dikembe Mutombo in the early two thousands. You know, was still a quality player for four years there. And it's like if we got that with Gobert, I think that we're looking at you know four seed next year. So I like this take. What would we have to give up? Um, so I'm kind of banking on the Pelicans making the playoffs, getting the 15th pick. Uh, you know, so if we end up with like the 12th pick ourselves, 13th pick, 15th pick, Gordon Hayward's book night. And yeah, two first round picks, Gordy, throw in Kelly, whoever you need to do. I don't know if that will be enough. I'm kind of curious to see what kind of offers are going to be going around for Gobert. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that as long as we're not giving up five first round picks or Miles Bridges, like I, w- I would give up PJ. Yeah. So Gordon Hayward, also the return to Utah. That could be the Utah Jazz definitely could be interested in that. Yeah. You get, give them Gordy, PJ, two first round picks, book night. Why not? 
All right. Yeah. We're, the price there sounds a little, little high with all that, but let's yeah, just hope like, they haven't seen book night play this season. We'll we'll see. I'm, I'm interested for sure. Cause I would finally give us a good defensive center. And, yeah. That would be weird. Um, and I just think offensively, I think that he's a lot. I just think he's better than people give him credit for Like, you know, people really talk about him like he's Boban. And it's like, it's just not the case. Like he's, you know, maybe going to win defensive player of the year again this season. Uh, uh, he's, you know, he's not, he's not going to win defensive player of the year. Are you going to give it to Marcus Smart? I mean, he's just, I think people have just gotten tired. It's, it's the, uh, like, you know, this has happened too many times in a row and he's not having his best defensive year by far. So I was trying to think. It's yeah. like, are we a better defensive team than the Jazz? It's like, you know, if we had Gobert, like, you know, because that's their struggles where all their perimeter guys are so bad. It's like, I feel like, you know, we'd be slightly better defensively. I think so. Yeah, I think so as well. All right. Uh, here to close out, I got to bring this up, Tim. My, my girl, Olivia Rodrigo, robbed of best album at the Grammys. <laughs> she did get best new artist, but that wasn't enough. Uh, she did not get best album. I don't know how that happened. Broke my heart. Broke my heart on Sunday night that she did that she didn't get that award. It uh, it's tough. I I have to say I felt uh felt super washed. I used to be like obsessive about music. Never a big Grammys guy, but uh had no idea the guy that won best album had literally I, never heard of him before. John Baptiste, but I've I've never heard of him either. I listened to like a couple of his songs. Seems like a random move by by the Grammys to give him best album. I mean nobody nobody had heard of him. No, I uh, I had not. I did think the best new artist was pretty funny. They had Japanese Breakfast in there, who like has been recording for like six years. Just like yeah. okay, like you know, we're just throwing things in here. Uh, but <laughs> overall, you know, happy for Olivia. Haven't watched the Disney special yet. I haven't either. We'll have to throw that on and maybe do some analysis after the uh, playoffs uh, <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Looking forward, but yeah. Shouts, shouts to Olivia, and uh, no, I can't think of any other Oscar takes. Uh, Grammy takes. I mean, Grammy takes. Yeah. Oscar uh, Will Smith uh, punched uh, Chris Rock. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I was trying to think of which Hornet player would be most likely to do that to Borrego, and I guess it's James Booknight. It is Booknight. That is the correct answer. But with that, shout out to all the supporters of the podcast, Xavier Harvin, T.C. Cunningham, Brandon Garcia, Austin Johnson, Isaac Black, Dan Joseph, Aaron Barton, and Caitlin Furland. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the podcast. We're probably going to do another episode before next Wednesday to preview the play-in game. Um, So look for that to drop next week, probably right after our uh, Sunday night game against the Wizards. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen. Uh, Please feel free to send in any listener questions at Hornets Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll get back to you. Thank you very much. All right, Tim. It's been real, bro. All right. It's been real. Peace. Peace.